Welcome back to the Live 8033 podcast, where we want to live in view of the cross of Christ and give current events eternal perspective. I am your host, George Hellowa, and today on the podcast is part two of the message on contending for the faith. Last time we talked about the danger facing the church, and today we're looking at two examples of how that danger plays out in the church, and we address how we can contend. Now, before we get started, I hope you've been enjoying this and our other messages at live8033.com. Our heart is that we can share God's word with as many people as possible, and we hope it's a blessing to you. If you'd like to support this podcast to partner with us, head on over to patreon.com slash live8033 where you can help make this podcast happen and give us the opportunity to do more. Whether you do or you don't, we hope you'll be blessed, encouraged, and that you'll share this podcast with other people. Now sit back, let's enjoy the rest of today's podcast about contending for the faith. But he's asking the question, you know, uh, should we, you know, because God's grace is so big, because God's blood covers all of our sin, is it okay to keep sinning? He's like, no, of course not. That's dumb is essentially what he's saying so but these wolves use they say well it's okay because god loves me and god's love covers my sin and so i can keep doing what i do um so that's their character that's their conduct and then he describes their creed they deny our master and our lord jesus christ look jesus said that if you love me you'll keep my commandments but the fact is that you cannot claim jesus is your lord and savior if you are disobedient to what he teaches and upholds, all right? You can't say God is my boss and then ignore everything he says, which comes out in the word of God. Paul said this to Titus. He wrote this. He says they, talking about, he says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works and they are detestable, they are disobedient, and they are unfit from, for any good works. So this is the problem in the church. I want to give you two examples of this accusation on two examples of the reality, one in the ancient church and one in the modern church. And this is just the realities of what the church is dealing with. So Paul addresses the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he, and he says this to them. He says, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Okay. For a man has his father's wife. That's got to be pretty bad. When even un- he's saying, dude, even the unbelievers don't do this. What in the world are you doing? Okay? It says, and you are arrogant. You are arrogant about it. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So for those of you who are not bakers, sometimes you put a little little leaven, a little yeast inside your bread, and you mix a little bit, and then it causes it to to rise and to grow. You don't need a whole lot. You put a whole lot in, you're going to have a mess on your hands, okay? And what he's saying here is that this guy, you are, you're not only, you're not, not disciplining this guy, you're kind of celebrating this grace of God with this man's sin, and you're not doing anything about it. You have to put this person out because of the church because... This person's sin is going to infect everybody else in the church. If you don't deal with this, it's going to harm the church of God, and it's going to diminish the grace of God. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be, what, a new lump. <laughs> okay? He says, you are really, so that you are really unleavened. 
for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So Paul was instructing the believers to discipline the sinner in their church because to not do so would harm the whole body. So that's, that's a prime example of letting people into the church that you don't discipline, you don't disciple, and their sin comes rampant. But there's a modern-day example, and I don't know how many of you track the news. If you watch CNN or Fox News or anything like that, and if you're smiling, you probably don't because the news is depressing. I get it. But here's a modern-day example. The modern-day example is found in the, in the United Methodist Church. And just this past week, uh, the United Methodist Church held a denomination-wide meeting. Okay, we're talking about this is a global church. It's the second largest Protestant denomination outside of Baptists. And they held a denomination-wide vote on whether or not they should maintain an existing ban on performing same-sex marriages in ordination of homosexual clergy. And the vote was to determine this. If they should, quote, uh, here's what it says, to remove language from the church's law book asserting that, quote, the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. So you've got eight, 900 Methodists gathered in St. Louis having a giant meeting, and this is the topic of discussion. What are we going to do? Are we going to keep it the way it's always been, the traditional plan? Or are we going to strike it from the record? Or the third option was, are we just going to let you know, the churches individually decide what they want to do? Okay, so they had this discussion, and it went on. And let me give you a couple examples of what was said. Lois McCullen Parr is a, Meth- is a Methodist church elder from Albion, Michigan, who herself identifies as bisexual and queer. And her argument is this. She says, for me, it's about who's in God's love, and nobody's left out of that. And she says, the gospel I understand, key word there, I understand, the gospel I understand that Jesus said Jesus is always widening the circle, expanding the circle, so that everyone's included. Now, not withholding the fact that Jesus talked about a, a narrow road and a narrow gate. Remember this. Here's what I want you to hear. God's love for us, regardless of your sin, let's taking this specific sin out of the equation, okay? God's love for us is not demonstrated in the affirmation of our sin, but in the eradication of its consequences through the cross of Christ. Let me say that again. God's love for us is not demonstrated in the affirmation of our sin, but in the eradication of its consequences through the cross of Christ. Our sin demanded Christ's sacrifice. We demonstrate our love for him by considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus that's what Romans 6 is all about, and we act accordingly. See, it's fascinating that the church, and people maybe on the outside have accused the church of making God in the image of man, right? That's often an atheist excuse that, no, you're just making God in your image, designing him around our preferences, since, which is ironic because the nature of man does not align with the orthodox Christian doctrine of God, of being a holy, righteous, transcendental God, Okay? But I would say, I would argue that this is true in the liberal versions of Christianity where people are committing to force God followers into acceptance of their disobedient behavior and cries that the church needs to change and, and, quote, get on the right side of history are not based on the positive moral evolution of society but on the growing degradation of sinful humanity. Okay? And let's not, and, and here's something, we have to understand why this is cultural too, right? Because we can't presume that the church in America is the standard bearer when it comes to church morality and church practices, all right? We forget that God's church is, extends beyond the contiguous 48, all right? The, I appreciate the response of, of Reverend Jerry Kula. He's a dean at the Methodist Theology School in Liberia, 
and which is in Africa, and he said this, We Africans are not children in need of Western enlightenment when it comes to the church's sexual ethics. We stand with the global church, not a culturally liberal church elite in the U.S. Oh, ouch, man. Oh, yes. <laughs> I can. He said this, We Africans are not children in need of Western enlightenment when it comes to the church's sexual ethics. We stand with the global church, not a culturally liberal church elite in the United States. Okay. So the Methodist, here's what you need to know. So the Methodist church did vote to retain the bans and to uphold the traditional and the orthodox view of the Bible, but it was far from a landslide. In fact, the difference in votes, pro and against, was 50 votes out of about 900 people. All right, so you can see the division that this is causing. But in both cases, in both these cases, from Corinthians and here, and even in the Methodist church, which was in the news this morning, I was reading more about it this morning, about how it's potentially causing a split, could cause the, the Methodist church to divide, which is a big deal, by the way, okay? Um, in both cases, we see the same thing, that people in the church who do not see how the disconnect between a, living a sinful lifestyle and following Christ harms the integrity of the church. Because a thing with no integrity is eventually going to fall apart when enough pressure is applied. Okay? A thing with no integrity is eventually going to fall apart when enough pressure is applied. Okay. So that's the first, four verses, the first light four verses of Jude. All right? So what? Well, here's a so what. As a Christ follower, you and I have to decide if you're going to be in this fight. Are you going to be in this fight? Jude calls on the believers to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith that was given to us, the right beliefs about Jesus Christ, about sin, and about salvation. Because if we get those wrong, that's, there are eternal consequences at stake, right? If someone believes the wrong things about Jesus, can they truly be saved? So the question is, is that you have to ask, is will you put up a fight? Will you hold your ground for the, for the truths of God? Ephesians 6 calls on us to therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So, okay, how do we contend for our faith? I'm going to give you three quick things on how to contend for your faith, and you'll see where these tie together. First one, you've got to know your faith. You've got to know what the Bible teaches. You've got to know what we believe as Christians. You have an understanding of what God's Word says and what it means. And this is what we might call orthodox or fundamental Christianity, the basics of our faith. Okay? You can't defend what you don't know. And this is why doctrine is so important. This is why it's so important to know what you believe. That the Bible, Look, the Bible gives no indications that the words of God and the prophets and the apostles are up for alternative interpretations or that they're merely suggestions or preferences, that if you want to believe these things, you can. There's not a, there is not a legitimate version of Christianity that operates outside the realm of the revealed word of God. Okay? When you accept Christ, you are signing up, believe it or not, when you accept Christ, you are signing up to believe what he believes. Or as Ephesians 4 says, uh, 4-5 says this, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, and there is one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. So we have to know what we believe. The second thing, if we're going to contend for the faith, is we have to show our faith, guys. We have to show our faith. We have to live in a manner consistent with the tenets of Christianity. And frankly, and this sounds kind of a, you know, very 
pastoral thing to say, but I would rather have a person who doesn't know a lot about the Bible but lives what they know than a person who knows all about what the Bible says and then ignores it. You can have all the Bible knowledge in the world and be as far away from God as the biggest heathen. Or as James, Jude's brother, puts it, he says in James 1.22, be what? Doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we've got to know our faith, we've got to show our faith, and because I like things that rhyme, we've got to grow our faith. Look, as you learn new things, you're going to do new things. Okay? Even, and hear me out, even if it flies in the face of your common sense or your understanding, because you and I were responsible for our obedience, not the consequences. Now let me, let me expound on this idea, okay, so you understand what I'm trying to communicate to you. As you grow and as you learn from God's word, some of what God reveals to you, bless you, some of what God reveals to you through his word as you study will run counter to your existing worldview. Okay? It, it's going to run counter to maybe to what you grew up with. And you say, whoa, that's not what I grew up hearing. That's not what I grew up believing. That's not, my, that's not what my life experience reveals. But I've said to you before, we have to, we have to filter our experience through God's word, not our, our experience our God's... Bleh. We have to filter our experiences through God's word, not our not God's word through our experiences. And so before you dismiss something God says because it doesn't align with your upbringing and your experience, you need to test it. You need to try it out. You need to stretch your faith and find out if what God is showing you isn't better than what you've known before. Okay? It's like food. When I was a kid, I hated beef with broccoli. It's the standard Chinese food. But you know what's a funny thing? I hated it, but I'd never had it. I don't like that. How do you know? You're at it? Nope. <laughs> Conversations you will have with your children. Just so you know. I don't like that. You ever had it? Nope. Might be your favorite food. You may never know. I'm going to tell you right now. I love beef with broccoli. <laughs> it's like, if, you, if a Chinese restaurant can't get that right, they, they don't deserve my business. Okay. <laughs> Just so you know. The thing is, is that we have to test what God reveals to us when he shows it to us, and don't, don't write it off. Well, I don't agree with that. Why not? Have you tested it? No? Well, find out first, because you might find out that it's better than what you expected. And here it is. When we know, when we show, when we grow our faith, then we are qualified to stand up and contend and defend God's truth. We can disciple those who don't know. We can discipline those who should know better. In fact, Jude says later in his letter, you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. You must rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still, he says, to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sin that can contaminate their lives. I'm going to wrap up with this. More importantly, if we don't uphold the pillars of truth, if we don't maintain the integrity of the Christian faith in our own lives, and if we don't contend for what is right and fight off those who would pervert the grace of God, then the church will crumble from the inside. And if we don't do it, who will? If the church isn't standing up for what it believes, who is going to? Look, you know what? The world is right. <laughs> there is a right side and a wrong side of history. There's the history desired by people, or there's the history determined by God. Now, I've, I've, I've read the book. I've read the next one that comes after Jude. I know how the story ends. 
So I am going to stand in God's corner and I'm going to contend for the faith. And we all need to ask ourselves, will I? Thanks for listening to part two of the message on Jude 1 to 4. You know, I think it's easy to think that there will always be someone else who's going to stand up and defend the church from her enemies. But it takes every one of us to identify and to weed out the wolves and protect the flock of God. And, you know, this isn't a new problem. And it's not going to go away unless each of us chooses to contend for the faith. If you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have thoughts, comments, or you just want to say hi, email us at live8033 at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you'd like to partner with us and you want to help make this podcast happen, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash live8033, where you can help support this podcast and help us reach others with the Word of God. Our music today is by Lee Rosevear. You can check out his stuff at freemusicarchive.org. My name is George Hellowa, and you've been listening to the Live 8033 podcast, where we want to live in view of the cross of Christ and give current events eternal perspective. Be blessed this week, and we'll see you next time.